Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Remember, Remember That Time I Got Cancer. Once again, I'm Erica, I'm your host, and this is episode 12. Episode 12 means that I am officially one-third of the way through with my challenge, which is pretty exciting as far as I'm concerned, and I'm having a pretty good time doing this in all honesty. I I know that I am now releasing my second episode in a row quite late, I apologize for that, but I've been kind of busy, so it is what it is. I'm hoping that since I have tomorrow off for what I'm calling Indigenous Peoples Day, I will be able to get caught up and maybe get a couple of episodes prepped so that I can be working ahead of myself and not playing catch-up. So let's all hope for the best, shall we? So today I want to talk about something that I've mentioned in passing before, and that is my port. Generally speaking, a port is what they use when giving patients chemotherapy drugs, but they can also use it for other things. Basically, a port is a small piece of plastic or metal hardware that is put in under the skin of the chest. It's just about, I don't know, two inches maybe below my my clavicle. And they put the, the piece of hardware in. It is connected to a line which runs up one artery and back down towards the heart or towards the lungs. I'm not entirely sure. But the idea is to put it in a larger artery, A, so that there's always better access, and B, to protect the sort of smaller, more delicate arteries of the arms, especially considering that a lot of medicines like chemo drugs are really harsh on the whole body and can do quite a bit of damage to those, to those arteries. So I had my port put in. I mentioned that briefly in passing during my hair loss episode, and as I said then, I actually experienced a fair amount of hair loss the day that my port was put in, probably as a result of anxiety or potentially as a side effect of the vancomycin that I was given as a sort of preparatory, anticipatory of, of potential infections. They pre me with antibiotics. And... That was not sort of the only dramatic thing that happened. It was just sort of one piece of that. So the day that they put the port in, like I said, I had that reaction to the vanco or I had that anxiety. And in order to get that under control, because of course, even if the hair loss was not caused by anxiety, I had quite a bit of anxiety because of it and because my heart was racing. And so they gave me both lorazepam, which is a a relaxant, a, they prescribe it for anxiety, and Benadryl, both intravenously. And Benadryl is, of course, a, a medication for allergies. They were presuming that I was having some sort of allergic reaction to the Vanco because I just was not reacting the way they typically see people, even with the red man syndrome that I talked about. Again, this is why I list Vanco as an allergy. I just, let's not go there. So... Just about the time they're getting those sort of panicky symptoms under control, I'm getting pretty dozy. They get ready to wheel me back to the procedure room to put the port in. Now, this is done through some imaging. So there's actually cameras put, I believe cameras are put inside so that they can see what they're doing. Basically, I have... What initially was a series of three incisions and now a series of six because, no, I'm sorry, a series of four 
So I had a series of three incisions and now there is four. So basically when they put it in, they cut two small incisions for access and for imaging. And then a third incision is where the actual port was placed. And when they take you in for the port, they give you what's called twilight sedation. It's not a serious enough or long enough procedure to warrant full-on sedation, which is where you are 100% unconscious, where they usually have to intubate to make sure you're breathing correctly. They obviously don't want to do that for a procedure which takes, I don't know, all of 10 minutes. But they give you what's known as twilight sedation, and the idea of twilight sedation is that you be conscious, but they always tell you that you won't form memories. It'll be like sleeping. That is, that is not my experience with twilight sedation. I've now been under it, I want to say three times, though now I can't remember what time number three would have been. So as they are putting in the port, I am now on lorazepam, Benadryl, and I think benzodiazepine is the typical twilight sedation drug. I may have just 100% made that up. This is why we do our research before recording a podcast. But I didn't, so we're just going to go with that. But I do think it's in the benzodiazepine family of products, as it were. All of this meaning I was pretty, not unconscious, but pretty loopy and pretty fuzzy. That being said, I was nervous enough during the procedure that forming memories was no problem. I suspect I was not given enough of this twilight sedation. What's interesting about twilight sedation is it varies person to person how much they need. It can be determined by gender. It can be determined by race. It can be determined by whether or not you use things like alcohol or weed or other drugs with any regular, uh, with any regularity. And so I suspect it is quite hard to get the exact mix right. And of course, there's also things like like weight and other health uh, things. And sometimes people just respond to sedatives differently. But I'm certain that I never had enough because they are insistent that I should not have memories of that procedure. But I do. (laughs) Blessedly, I don't actually remember being cut. I don't think not. I don't remember being cut with any surety. I couldn't be positive that I remember that. However, I remember a feel of a lot of pulling and tugging and pushing and general sort of wrongness in that area of my right chest and collarbone. And I remember wishing that I could communicate to them that I was feeling things, that it wasn't comfortable. And while it wasn't necessarily painful, it was making me panicky enough that I needed them to do something about it. I was drugged up enough that I couldn't actually articulate any of that. What I could do was whimper. And I whimpered pretty insistently at them. And the the person there who was in charge of the anesthesia, I believe an anesthesiologist, because that would make sense, uh, asked if I needed more of the sedation. And again, all I could do was whimper. And I just remember him sort of going, yeah, let's give you some more. But I remember the whole thing feeling quite high stress. Now, they also covered my face. There was all sort of those like surgical dressings they put over to keep everything sterile. And my face was covered. I don't know if that was for their benefit or mine. It may also have had something to do with uh, whatever they were using to, to image me with my sort of arteries as they were putting the port and running the line. But, but that's what I remember from the port going in. And then, this again, this was a really high stress time in my life. 
And I had just gotten back from England. There was a restaurant back home that I really liked. I'm not, I'm actually not going to mention the restaurant's name because I don't want to give them the endorsement because I feel like they've handled COVID-19 really poorly and they don't deserve uh, their name on my thing. So, but this restaurant was a place that I really liked. They had a sandwich that I'm still quite obsessed with. And my dad said that after the procedure, he would take me home and we could go and get that sandwich. And that's all I could think about really the whole day. That was sort of the reward I was looking forward to. Like this day was going to suck. It was going to be a day where all I could really think about was my upcoming chemo treatments. But damn it, I was going to go get that sandwich. So I come out of the procedure and I am. I'm conscious, but it's not a good conscious. I'm, again, pretty loopy, pretty just like real fuzzy. And mom, I believe, had to stay for work, but dad was going to take me home so that I could sort of sleep and recover and all that. And we get in the car. We lived about an hour away from the hospital. And I pretty much got in the car and zonked right asleep because, again, there were a lot of sedatives and sedative-adjacent medications running through my veins. And I woke up just as we were about to pass the exit where we would have to get off to go to this restaurant to get me that sandwich. And I remember protesting in like the most slurred way possible that no, I wanted to stop. And you know what? I don't think it was a particularly good meal experience because I was really still quite out of it. So that was, that was a thing, but you know what? I am a very food driven person still, And I had been thinking about that sandwich all day and dang it, I was getting my sandwich. So fast forward to my first chemo treatment where the port had to be accessed. So despite the fact that having the port means they won't have to go searching for a vein in my arm every time they want to do chemo, they do have to push quite a large gauge needle through my chest. This is not better. In my mind, at least, it was not better until I experienced the alternative, but we're going to come to that in just a little bit here. But part of what they do in order to access the port for anyone who's really nervous about the pain, and I will just say it is not a cozy procedure. This is a big needle and they, I mean, they pop it in there. You hear it click and everything. It's really, 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 really gross. And I do hate it, but they, they, they access the port and that's, you know, you get to your chemo treatment, you check in, you wait around and they call you back. They check, they check to see if you're due for blood work because you get a lot of blood work run during chemo to check how much like your body is tolerating the poison they're pumping into you. They do uh, height, weight, all those sort of general doctor things. Again, they're just trying to check how well the chemo is being handled. And then when they're satisfied that everything is good, we're ready to start today's chemo, they access the port. Now, they have this really handy thing to sort of alleviate the pain, because like I said, it's not a, it is not a pain-free way to get access to your, your vein system. They, they use this cooling spray, this freezing spray, and they, I mean, they, they freeze you up, make sure you're totally... Okay, the idea is that you're totally numb. I'm not convinced. And the freezing spray itself also hurts. It's just all bad. (laughs) So that's just sort of the unfortunate reality of the treatment and of the accessing. And it's not, you know, it's not good, but you got to do it. So then they would access the port and you would go about your way. Now, 
I, my cycle of chemo, which I may talk about in detail another day, involved a three week cycle. And week one of each cycle was a three day week. And then the second two weeks were just one day of treatment. On my long weeks, the first day was a long day. I, I got three drugs and I got at least a bag of fluids, depending on what my numbers were looking like. They would give me whatever they felt like they had to, to give me the best benefit and to protect my organs and all that good stuff. And because then that week I would come in for three treatments, they would give me the option of leaving the port in my chest so that it didn't have to be accessed three days in a row. I always took this option because I did hate the accessing situation. It was just gross and painful and maybe the scariest part of my day. So I did what I could to avoid that. But this meant that I did go home with a little tube like hanging out. Um, Because obviously the part with the needle would be attached through my flesh and then the, the tubey bit that would get hooked up to the other tubes would be out and they would tape that all up and they would cover it with this mesh thing, but it didn't hide the fact that it was there and I did hate it. Anyways, there came a day when the sight of my port was really red and irritated and actually really painful and not while it was accessed. It just was looking a little bit like it was infected and that day they did run extra blood work looking for infection on me, but they couldn't use the port until they got verification that I did not have an infection there. If the infection was topical, they didn't want to push it into my bloodstream by accessing. So that day they did have to run the chemo straight into my arm. It was a very big needle. And I think it took them five times to find a vein that they were happy with. That was a bad day. And that was the day that I learned to be real grateful for the port. Now, luckily for me, there was no infection. I just had some some topical skin irritation from the port itself. It was basically my skin being like, hey, we don't like this and we actually would really like it gone. And I was like, hey, skin, yeah, me too. But if you could just chill for a little while longer so that we can get through this and I don't have to suffer every time they want to, you know, treat me by them going for my arm, that would be just super. So I only had one day they had to, uh, to use a vein in my arm for the treatment, and then I was back to using the port, and everything was fine and dandy. And then when I finished my course of treatment, the doctor decided rather than wait for testing three or six months out, which is typical, he wanted to take the port out pretty much right away because we knew that I was having a, a poor reaction to it. I was having a bad dermatological reaction, and quite frankly, we had every reason to believe that treatment was successful. I was lucky in that my kind of cancer is very treatable, and often when when it comes to the end, doctors are usually comfortable saying that my cancer is cured rather than saying I am in remission. Now, that doesn't mean I am exempt from follow-up appointments. Those are still very much an important part of life, but it means that my risk of recurrence is very, very low. When I say very low, they would find it hyper-atypical for my cancer to recur. And because that was a situation we were dealing with, because I seemed good, and for one other reason that I will touch on another day, the doctor was like, let's let's just take the port early. So back to the department that put the port in in the first place, and I was very sort of 
assertive at every stage of the process because I had heard that sometimes they don't give the twilight sedation to remove the port. And that was not going to be an option for me. They were like, oh, we're, we're still going to use the anesthetic. Like, you won't feel it, but, you know, we don't typically. I checked when I checked in that day, that morning. I was like, hey, can we just check to make sure that I'm definitely still getting the twilight anesthesia? I checked with the sort of triage nurse. Hey, can we make sure that I'm still getting that anesthesia? And everyone was saying, yes, yes, fine, fine. And after the, I don't know, 30 minutes or so I was waiting for my procedure, the doctors or, or techs or whatever came to get me to wheel me on back to the procedure room to remove my port. And at this point, I was sort of realizing I had already been dosed with a twilight sleep before I was in that room, and they had not given me anything this time around yet. And I said, hey, wait, are we still doing that? And they were like, no, you really won't need it. This is going to take less than five minutes to pull it out. Like, it's totally easy. And I said, no, 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 you do not understand. There is not a world in which I am letting you cut into my chest while I am fully conscious and not somehow altered. It didn't take a whole lot for them to be convinced that my anxiety was such that I could not possibly allow such a thing. But they did concede. They gave me the twilight sedation. And to their credit, they were right. It's the, the removal is so much simpler. They don't need as much imaging. They, they get a little bit of a picture just to make sure everything is as it should be. And then they sort of slice you. They open you up. They cut where the thing is stitched into your fleshy muscles or whatever. And they slurp it right on out of there. It is very fast. And it was just over super quickly. And while I had been nervous that day that I was going to suffer from the same prolonged exhaustion from the twilight sedation that I had experienced when the port went in, I really recovered almost immediately. And I'm pretty sure that the only reason I reacted so poorly the first time is because I had the, the lorazepam and the Benadryl already in my system before the procedure. So that was the port coming out. The most frustrating part of the port over the last five years for me has been this that the removal left a hypertrophic scar, which means a scar that is sort of bubbled up like a keloid. It's very unattractive. And for, I would say the first year was actually quite painful until I went and had it looked at by a dermatologist and they identified what it was. And they were like, if it's causing you pain, let's go ahead and inject it with a steroid. Oh, good. More needles. But I agreed because... Not only was it painful, but I, I also found it and continue to find it really unsightly. It bothers me more than the massive scar down my stomach. I think because it's more obvious, it's visible in more of my clothing. Most of my clothing doesn't reveal, you know, my stomach. So the scar is still a frustration. One day I want to I wanna actually have a tattoo to cover it up. I haven't quite picked the exact thing, but that's my eventual plan. And so that's it. I, I have that scar, but the port is out, and God willing, I'll never have to have a port again. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in today, and um, thanks also to Julius H. for this song, Beltane, which I found on Pixabay. Also, please remember, I still want to do an Ask Me Anything episode, so if you have any questions, you can send it to my email. That's ericaleeconklin at gmail.com. Erica, E-R-I-C-K-A, Lee, L-E-E, Conklin, C-O-N-K-L-I-N, at gmail.com. Now, before I go, don't forget, 
support single-payer health care, go get your damn vaccines, COVID-19 is real, and thanks to the NHS for supporting my continued existence. See you tomorrow. <laughs>